Merry Christmas. Thank you all for being here today to worship our Lord together. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to join me in Luke chapter 2. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip. After a good meal and a bottle of wine, they lay down in their tent for the night and went to sleep. Some hours later, Holmes awoke and nudged his faithful friend. Watson, he said, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. And what does that tell you? Holmes inquired. Watson pondered for a moment and then he said, astronomically it tells me there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Astrologically, I observe Saturn is in Leo. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Theologically, I can see that God is all-powerful and we are very small and insignificant. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. And then he paused. Why, Holmes? What does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a moment and then he said, it simply tells me that someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) You know, sometimes as we look at life's problems, they can strike us as being overwhelmingly complex. We look out at our world and we watch the news every night and we're confronted with war, the threat of nuclear weapons, the threat of chemical weapons, terrorism, poverty, famine, catastrophes. We look at our own lives and we're facing physical problems, emotional problems, relational problems. And too often we we react like Dr. Watson We search for the profound, and we miss the obvious. You see, the basic problem in your life, and the basic problem in my life, is not complex. It's simple, and it's obvious. It's a three-letter word, sin. Whatever problem is captivating your attention today can be traced back to this one fundamental source. The root of all problems. Are you sick? Sickness comes from sin. Do you have family conflict and breakup? Comes from sin. War comes from sin. Crime, sin. Now you'll hear people propose all sorts of complex solutions to life's varied problems. But I want to remind you this morning that just as the problem is simple, the solution is simple. God's simple solution for whatever problem you are facing is spelled out in the Christmas message. It's stated by the angel here in verse 11. 
in the passage that Anna Joy read. Verse 11, back up to verse 10. The angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. It's for everybody because everybody's problem is the same. And here's the solution. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The solution to your three-letter problem is a five-letter word, Jesus. Here he's called Christ, which means Messiah, the Anointed One. And he's given two titles in this verse which answer two essential questions about him. Who is he and why did he come? First answer, who is he? And the answer is that word, Lord. Lord means God. In fact, in this passage, if you back up to verse 9, the same word is used there. It says, And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. And then verse 11, The Lord has been born. The one who the angels serve. The, ones who, the one whose glory lit up the hills outside Bethlehem was born that night. That's who he is. And the second question is, why did he come? And that's in the, ver- in the word in that verse, Savior. Savior. I don't think we fully appreciate that word. And that's because we don't fully appreciate our problem. If you were drowning, your favorite word would be lifeguard. If your house was burning, your favorite word would be fireman. If you were out at sea, miles from land, in a storm, your favorite word would be boat. Or better yet, ship. Well, when you understand that your problem is sin, your favorite word is Savior. Aren't you glad? It doesn't say in verse 11, there has been born for you a judge. I don't need a judge. I need a Savior. This time of year, many of us make Christmas lists. We say, this is what I want for Christmas. Well, on that very first Christmas, God made a list for you. And it's a little different. It's what you need for Christmas. And there was only one thing on that list. A Savior. Someone has said if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. 
If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. So God sent us a Savior. Now that's simple. The solution for all your varied and sundry problems is Jesus. You say, well, Dan, that's the Sunday school answer. I mean, that's too simple an answer to my complicated problems. Well, that's the beauty of it. It's simple. And to remind ourselves of just how simple it is, I want to underline three things in this familiar passage this morning. I want to remind us that the people are simple, the message is simple, and the response is simple. First of all, the people are simple. Aren't you a little surprised that in verse 8 it doesn't say, in the same region there were some scribes and Pharisees in the temple keeping watch over their religious rituals, and an angel suddenly appeared before them. Aren't you a little surprised that verse 8 doesn't say in the same region there were some kings and princes in the palace keeping watch over their kingdom, and an angel suddenly appeared before them? Why did the good news come to shepherds? Well, I can think of three reasons. Number one, because the gospel is for simple, sinful people. Shepherds were notorious for being thieves. That's why Jesus said the good shepherd guards his sheep, not just from wolves, but from other shepherds, because they would steal sheep. They were notorious for being thieves. They were notorious for being untrustworthy. They were drifters. By very nature, their job was looking for more green pasture. And so they moved around a lot. People didn't always know them very well. Didn't know their character. Historians of that day say they were so unreliable that they weren't allowed to testify in a court of law. They were also irreligious, what we call today non-churched people. Alfred Edersheim in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, says their manner of life isolated them from religious ordinances and rendered strict observance unlikely. When feast days came, they couldn't go because somebody had to watch the sheep. On the Sabbath day, the wolves didn't take that day off. So they had to work. They were irreligious. They were also unintelligent people, uneducated people. They couldn't read and write. And most of them were very young, like David, who was watching his father's sheep because he was the youngest son. So shepherds were people that society largely looked upon with suspicion and disdain. And yet they are the only people 
who were invited to see Jesus on his birth day. Why? Because Jesus' purpose in coming was not to find the most worthy and pat them on the back. His purpose in coming was to find the most needy and save us from our sins. He would later say in Mark 3.17, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The shepherds qualified. They were simple, sinful people. Do you qualify? I do. Let me give you a second reason why I think the invitation was given to shepherds. And that is because the gospel involved the sacrifice of the Lamb of God. If you look on a map, you'll see that Bethlehem is only six miles from Jerusalem. Therefore, the market demand for sheep was great. Thousands were slaughtered in Jerusalem every spring. And it's very likely that the shepherds in the fields outside Bethlehem were tending sheep for sacrifice. They were tending sheep that would go to Passover and be sacrificial lambs. Isn't it ironic that the only ones invited to the very first Christmas were shepherds who protected harmless lambs who would soon die on behalf of sinful men? And they left their lambs to come to the stable and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And of course, Passover is a feast to remind the Jews of their deliverance from Egypt, remind them of how they got away from the death angel because they took the blood of the Lamb and they put it on the doorposts of their homes. And in the same way, we escape the judgment of God for our sin when we take the blood of the Lamb of God and we apply it to our lives. Why shepherds? Well, because the gospel provided for us not only the sacrificial lamb, but the good shepherd. Shepherds have always had a special place in God's plan. Abraham was a shepherd. Isaac was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Moses was a shepherd for 40 years. King David was called while tending sheep. And Jesus said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. As the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus will care for you watch over you, feed you, lead you, protect you, find you when you're lost, and lay down his life for you. So in this passage about the first Christmas, we see that the people are simple. Second, we see that the message is simple. 
And let me just point to two simple things about the Christmas message. The first is that God came to us. Verse 11 says, again, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The Lord was born for us. Now, Jewish people knew that Messiah was coming to the city of David. That was prophesied years before in Micah 5.2. But they never dreamed that he would come in such a simple, humble way as a baby in a stable. And that's why the angel says to the shepherds in verse 12, this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. This is a sign for you because he's coming as a baby and he's going to be where you never find babies. In a stable. In a feeding trough. You know, if God were going to come as a baby, we would expect Him to come in a castle. We would expect Him to be laid in a golden cradle. We would expect Him to be wrapped in purple garments and surrounded by servants. But instead, He was born in a stable, laid in a feeding trough, wrapped in rags, and surrounded by donkeys. I don't know about you, but I'm guilty often of romanticizing that event. I think we often envision it kind of the way we see it on a Hallmark card. Joseph and Mary are traveling to Bethlehem on a warm, star-filled night. We picture them in a well-swept stable. Jesus, baby Jesus is lying in a wooden cradle that looks like it's been purchased new at Babies Are Us. See, the reality is that the, re- that the arrival of Jesus was not as tidy as we think. When it comes time for our wives to give birth, good husbands put their wife in the car, take them to the hospital where they give birth. Joseph put his wife on a donkey at best and took her on a 90-mile trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And although they didn't have hospitals in the first century, they certainly delivered children in the most sterile setting possible. But Jesus was born in the filthiest setting imaginable stable. He was born where animals are born. And since the inn was full, we can assume that the stable was full. The inn was full of people. The stable was full of their animals. Tired, lathered up, smelly, hungry animals. What smell do you associate with Christmas? I looked in Poor Richard's Almanac. It gave ten smells of Christmas. Pine, wood smoke, 
bayberry candles, cinnamon, orange cloves, evergreen, snow. peppermint, eggnog, and anything that's being baked in the kitchen. Well, if you want the real smell of Christmas, throw horse manure on your floor. Jesus was born in a stable. And he was laid in a manger. That word just means feeding trough. There were animals there eating out of that trough and they had to push them aside and lay Jesus in that feeding trough. Now why did he come to a barn? Jesus could have been born in the inn and still been our Savior, right? But he was born in a barn. Why? Well, I think the answer is that at his birth, he wanted to let us know that he was completely accessible. He came to us. The only group of people invited to that first Christmas were shepherds. If Jesus had been born in a palace, the shepherds would have trembled to enter. If Jesus had been born in the temple, the shepherds would have been embarrassed and ashamed to enter there. But Jesus was born in a barn, a manger in a stable where animals were kept. And the shepherds were comfortable to enter there. They felt right at home. You see, Jesus came to them. He was accessible. He was available. He was approachable. And that's the simple message of Christmas. God came to us. We see this throughout Jesus' entire ministry. He had time for little children to come and sit on his lap. When he was busy on a trip, a lady touched the hem of his garment, and he had time to stop and minister to her. He touched the lepers that no one else would touch. He had dinner with the tax collectors and the sinners. He sat beside a lonely Samaritan woman at a well, and took the time to tell her how she could have living water. Jesus always has time. He is always available. He is always approachable. That's why the name we celebrate at this time of year is Emmanuel. It means God with us. I like the way Max Lucado describes Jesus in his book, God Came Near. He says he was the kind of fellow you'd invite to watch the Rams-Giants game at your house. He'd wrestle on the floor with your kids, 
doze on your couch and cook steaks on your grill. He'd laugh at your jokes and tell a few of his own. And when you spoke, he would listen to you as if he had all the time in eternity. And one thing's for sure, you'd invite him back. The message of Christmas is simple. God came to us. He came into our dirty, smelly world. And then the second simple thing about the message. First, God came to us. Second, God came to die. Verse 11 says, There has been born for you a Savior. If God came into this world, we would expect Him to come to conquer His enemies, condemn His enemies, kill His enemies. But instead, God came to save His enemies. And let me remind you, you and I were His enemies. He came to die in our place. That's what the word Jesus means. The angel told Joseph in Matthew 1.21, you shall call His name Jesus, for it is He who will save His people from their sins. The wise men brought three gifts to Jesus. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Gold and frankincense were gifts suited for a king. Myrrh was a curious gift to give because it was the substance used as perfume on the dead. In John 19.39, we're told that Jesus' dead body was wrapped with a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloes. Strange gift. It's like coming to a baby shower with embalming fluid. But you see, it was fitting to give to Jesus because he was the baby born to die. He didn't come to go to the throne. He came to go to the cross. And that is the simple message of Christmas. God came to our place to die in our place so that we can now go to his place. Then the third simple thing about this passage is that the response is simple. The people are simple. The message is simple. Thirdly, the response is simple. How should we respond to that message? Well, just like the shepherds responded, they simply believed. How do I know they believed? Three evidences. Number one, they came to Jesus. Verse 15 says, When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay 
in the manger. Now the shepherds could have heard the message and said, isn't that interesting? Let's sit here and have a theological discussion around the fire. Or they could have heard the message and said, let's send a delegation to the religious leaders in Jerusalem and get their interpretation of this. Or they could have heard the message and said, we've always believed. We've heard all our lives that Messiah is coming to the city of David. Thanks for telling us. But what did they do? They left their sheep and they came to Jesus. You see, genuine faith is more than intellectual assent. It's more than nodding in agreement to the facts. When God reveals Christ to your soul, you must take him at his word. You must personally respond. You must leave everything and come in simple faith to Jesus Christ. And when you do like the shepherds, your life will never quite be the same. And we see that from the next two responses. Their first response is they came to Jesus. Their second response is that they told others. Look at verse 16 again. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. When they had seen this, when they had seen what? A baby. Now, Jesus looked like any other baby. He didn't have a halo. There was no glow around him. He looked like any other baby. The only thing different about him was he was lying in a feeding trough. But they came and saw the baby and they saw through the eyes of faith. They saw that this baby is the Lord. And they saw that this baby is their Savior. And when you see God's Son through the eyes of faith, when you see Jesus through the eyes of faith, you cannot be silent. It says they made it known. Once the shepherds visited the manger, it was not a silent night. They made it known to everyone. Now they could have come up with excuses to be quiet. They were not trusted in a court of law to even give witness. Who's going to believe them? And who's going to believe that they saw angels? That's crazy. And who's going to believe that the Son of God is in a barn? But you see, nothing could stop them 
because they had genuine, simple faith. And so they told others. We often say that genuine faith doesn't just talk, it walks. Well, the reverse is true also. Genuine faith doesn't just walk, it talks. The evidence of their faith, they came to Jesus. The evidence of faith, they told others about Him. And the third evidence of their faith is they glorified God. Verse 20 says, The shepherds went back glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen just as had been told them. These crusty, hardened, irreligious shepherds became worshipers. They were overflowing with praise to God. And what I find cool in verse 20 is that it doesn't say they moved to Jerusalem and became rabbis. It doesn't say they signed a book deal. Angels, angels, angels. It doesn't say that they went on the talk show circuit. What it says is the shepherds went back. Went back where? Went back to tend their sheep. What a letdown. They didn't build a shrine to Messiah in the barn. They didn't charge people to have tours. You see, their circumstances didn't change. They went back to the simple place where God had called them to their same routine job with their same basic problems. But now, they had found the solution. And their lives would never be the same. They were marked by faith in Jesus, telling the good news to others, and glorifying God. We're going to close our service today by taking communion. Communion has that same simple message in it. It's bread and a cup reminding us of the body and the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. And on Christmas, when when we celebrate his birth, we remember that he is the baby born to die. He came to die in your place so that you could call him my Savior. I trust that you can do that today. And if you can't, his arms are open wide to anyone who will may come. I'm going to pray, ask you to examine your hearts. If you're a visitor here, this is not our supper, it's the Lord's Supper. You're welcome, if you're a believer, to participate. Let's examine our hearts today in light of the simple message of Christmas. And make sure that he is on the throne in your life. And he is your savior. And then let's take communion together as we fellowship with our living Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
for the simple message of Christmas. That you, Lord Jesus, very God of very God, became man, became a baby, went to the lowliest of spots to be born in a dirty, smelly barn. And you came to redeem us, to be our Savior, so you went and humbled yourself to an even more amazing spot to be hung on a cross in our place. And Lord, as we take the bread and the cup today and remember your sacrifice, we pray that like the shepherds, we would be people of genuine faith who come to you, who tell others about you, and who give you glory in all things. That's our desire and that's our prayer. We give you our thanks in the worthy name of Jesus.